Hi, and welcome to the Burning Ones podcast. Our desire is to see people all around the world burn for one name, Jesus. We pray that you experience the love and power of him through this journey. Thank you for joining us, and may burning witnesses arise. The Lord has put some things in my heart, and tonight if I had to somehow put a title towards the content of what it is I believe the Lord wants me to share, I would simply just have to say that I believe that God wants to bring freedom to captives. Freedom to captives. And in John chapter 8, verses 35 and 36, I'll read the verses and then we will pray. Verse 35 says this, and I have it in maybe a different translation than you do, so if the words seem to be a little different, just keep rolling with me. It says, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I'm just simply going to ask you to lift your hands right here where you're sitting. And Father, I ask you tonight that by your presence and your voice, that you would free us, Lord, that you would free every captive in this place, Lord, that you would free every captive from the bondage of addictions and chains and bondages. Lord, free us from our striving and our efforts. Lord, free us from everything that has been opposing you and resisting the work of the Holy Ghost in our lives to conform us to the image of your Son. Lord, I ask you, because you said he who the Son sets free is free indeed. Lord, make us tonight a people that are free indeed. In Jesus' name, amen. You see, these verses are extremely special to me because I believe that it is God's will for all of us to be free. I believe that it is the design of a loving father to free sons and daughters to free us from the captivity of the devil and the world and everything that is constantly bombarding us, persuading us, manipulating us, working and guiding us into the opposition of everything that God ultimately wants to do in and with our lives in the earth. You see, because it did not always look like this for me. And what I would like to do is just excuse some of your excuses in the very beginning. You see, because many of us find more comfort in our resume than we do in the Word of God. Many of us trust more in places we've been and things that we've done than in the things that God wants to do and the places He asks us to be. (laughs) And many of us read Him our resume because we want a way out of obeying the thing that He's asking us to do. You see, because the easy route in life is to embrace familiarity. That's the easy route. The things you already know, the things you're already comfortable with, even if it's destroying you, even if it's killing you, even if it's ruining your life, the easy thing to do is simply to stay where you are. But the hard thing to do is to walk out into the place of the unknown. 
and to trust God and to lean not upon your own understanding. Because you see, it didn't always look like this for me. As a matter of fact, now almost 14 years ago, I walked into a gathering on a Sunday night much like this. Two weeks after my 21st birthday, I had been to jail 15 times. I was drug dealing. I was drug addicted. I had been expelled from high school. My parents were divorced. I was diseased. When I say I was diseased, I was diseased. Not just with the plague of sin, but I was actually diseased. I sat in a doctor's office at the age of 17 and had a practicing professional because that's what they're called. They're practicing. It's not an offense to anyone who may be in the medical profession. It is what it is. I had a practicing professional tell me that for the rest of my life, I would forever be tainted because of the decisions that I chose to give myself to. Because of the way that I had chosen to live, that I would forever be marked by my life's decisions and the consequences thereof had now raided my body with a disease that science had no answer for. You see, at 17, because of the way that I chose perversity and lust and sexual lifestyle and all of these other things, and because of my pursuit of women, which was really a pursuit of the satisfaction of self, I ended up sitting in a chair across from a doctor who told me that I now had herpes. Ooh. Yeah, it's not a good day. He said, for the rest of your life, you're going to have to take these little blue pills called Valtrex. Not to cure you, but in hopes just to suppress any further issues, outbreaks. There's no guarantee that if you continue in these paths that you will not transfer the disease to anyone that you choose to be intimate with if you so inform them beforehand. This is where I was at in life. I was so angry. I was so broken. I was so violent. You take a violent, broken, angry young man, mix that with unlimited amounts of drugs and alcohol and the wrong crowd of broken, angry, violent people. There were a lot of things in my life that I just simply did not have answers for. Out on the streets at 15 years old, sleeping in my car, homeless, all of these other types of things. And at 21 years old, I walked into a church, not because I was trying to change my life. As a matter of fact, I was trying to change someone else's life. I walked into church at 21 years old with a backpack full of product because I was a business owner at the time and sat in the back row waiting for service to end so that I could ruin someone's life. And in fact, not just someone, but one of the pastor's sons. And I sat in what would be the back row on Pastor Appreciation Day in 2002. Pastor Appreciation Day. Come on, you can't make this stuff up. <laughs> Waiting not to get close to Jesus, but to ruin the life of someone who was close to Jesus. And at the end of the service, I didn't even want to go to the altar, though I ended up there because the pastor said, if you feel led to pray for someone, just simply approach them and ask them if you can pray. And over someone came. Because I guess I looked like I needed prayer.
50 pounds heavier than I am right now, powerlifting, long hair, always corn roll braided, five earrings, two eyebrow rings, two tongue rings, slashes in my eyebrows, big t-shirts, jeans, Tim boots, backpack full of product, angry on the inside, distant, broken, separated from God, trying to get into a fight. I was a masterpiece. And she said, can I pray for you? And I said, sure. She said, can we go to the altar? I said, we can go to the bathroom. We can go to the foyer. We can stand in the parking lot. Like, it really, it doesn't matter to me. And she said, no, the altar would be fine. And so there we went down to the altar, and I stood at what would be right here. I will forever remember the mark in the carpet where God met me. Because you see, I stood at the altar and I thought, I'll do whatever I have to do to get out of here because I want to get back to life as I know it. I'm just trying to get into a fight. Fighting is what we do. I did it all the time. I had restraining orders against me. Oh, most of you know, I forget. I'm in the area right around here. In Ybor City, almost every club in Ybor City, I had a restraining order against me and on and on it went. As a matter of fact, I bumped into somebody before service. <laughs> Who said, oh, wait, I remember you. And the pastor came and stood in front of me and he said, do you want to get saved tonight? And I thought, what? He said, do you want to get saved tonight? I said, man, I don't even know what that means. Like, what, what, do, you, what do you want? Like, what are you asking me? And he said, you don't know what I'm saying? And I said, no, I don't know what you're saying. But if you ask me something that I can understand, then maybe we can get somewhere. And so we backed up for a second. And you could tell a little perplexed. And so he stepped back and he said, how about this? Do you want to ask Jesus into your heart? Oh, yeah, no, it seems great. And I said, no, things are getting really weird. Because I don't know what that means either. You got to understand, 21 years old had never read the Bible, had never been to church. I didn't understand the lingo. And so he backed up once again, and he approached me again, and he asked me a question that's forever changed my life. He said, do you want to lay your life down tonight for God? And from tonight and every day forward, are you willing to live it for him and for him alone? And I thought to myself, oh, man, that's easy. No, I've never done that. And he said, do you want to do that tonight? And I said, yeah, sure. How do we do that? Because I just want to get out of here. I'll do anything you ask me to. I'm just trying to leave, man. And so he said, lift your hands and we're going to pray a prayer. And I lifted my hands and I thought nothing in the world was going to happen. I thought, man, this is the craziest place. I thought I had seen some wild stuff out in the streets. Man, this is the craziest place. I'll lift my hands. We'll go through the motions. And as I lifted my hands and went through the motions, I got sideswiped by God himself. And I came into a vision of the one who is alive from the dead, Jesus the Son. And he embraced me, 
And he welcomed me and he called me his own at a time in life when everyone else had written me off, when none would stand next to me, when none would label me and claim me. Jesus, the son, brought me in and out of the darkness and into the light. And I've never been the same. From that day forward, I have never been the same. And it may sound cliche to you because you've been in church for all your life, or maybe you've just been here for a couple of months, but I tell you, it may sound cliche, but it is the absolute truth. One man walked in and another man walked out. Instantly delivered from alcohol addiction and from perversity and lust and anger. Even my vocabulary had changed. I didn't even know how to talk the same. I didn't even know how to talk the same. And it's Pastor Appreciation Day. We get invited to the pastor's banquet. We're in the fellowship hall sitting at the pastor's table. They introduce his family. I realize it's his son that I want to fight. I realize that it's his wife that feels led to pray for me. The mom of the son who did not know that I was there to wipe her son off the face of the earth. Come on, you can't make it up. Three weeks later, got publicly baptized. Two weeks after that, got filled with the Holy Ghost. Four weeks after getting filled with the Holy Ghost, sitting in a service on a Sunday morning, the second Sunday in January of 2003, I felt an inner voice speak to me and say, Mike, I want to heal you this morning if you would let me. And I walked the long walk down the aisle. And as they laid their hands on me, they prayed the prayer of faith and it felt like hot oil got dumped over my body from the top of my head down to the soles of my feet. And as I went home that morning, not realizing that something magnificent had been done by the Lord himself, I opened up my drawer where my pills were and I reached in and that same inner voice that spoke to me and said, I want to heal you told me, Mike, you don't need those anymore. And from that Sunday in 2003, where the blood of Jesus gave me an answer that science still has not found, I have been a blood-washed and a brand new man in Jesus' name. Come on, my wife is whole. My children are whole. We're not tainted with anything. We're not marked with anything except the branding of the Holy Ghost and the fire of God upon our lives. And I tell you those things not simply to glory in my own story, but to let you know that if he would do it for me, that he's no respecter of person and or flesh, and that if he would do it for me, that there's hope for you, that if he would bring me out, he'll bring you out, that if he would do that for me, that anything is possible for you. So tonight, if you need a touch in your body, I just want you to receive from the Lord. 
Acts says that even as Peter was preaching, the Holy Ghost fell on the people. That even as the word was going forth, that the Holy Ghost fell on those that were listening. That God is able to bypass even our little system. And that he can touch you right now. That you don't have to wait to the end to try to rush up here and get me to touch you. Because you don't need me to touch you. You need God to touch you. Because it is his design for us to be free. For us to be free. I had an encounter with God that changed my life. It wasn't an encounter with church, though I'm thankful it was in a church. It could have been in a grocery store. It could have been in a gas station. It could have been in a soccer field somewhere at a school event. It doesn't necessarily matter in or where it is. What is important is that I encountered God himself. Because nothing else in all of the world is able to set you free. And for those of you that have been satisfied with simply finding church and that haven't necessarily been looking for God, I encourage you that you've not yet found your freedom because you've not yet been looking for the right thing. You can surround yourself with all the right people. You can surround yourself with all of the right activities in life. You can jump in the hamster wheel and run with all the others. But unless you are looking for the right thing. Because he wants you to be free. All the way back from the beginning. Consider with me in the book of Exodus. We have the children of Israel that are under Egyptian captivity. They're being run by a taskmaster who is Pharaoh. For generation after generation after generation, the Bible says that harsh labor and toils were laid upon the lives of the children of Israel. In fact, all the way back, God speaks to Abraham, who was then Abram, and he tells him, in the future, your descendants, I will send them into captivity, and they will be ruled over by harsh, harsh treatment. In Exodus chapter 8, verse 1, God tells Moses, go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. That they may come and serve me. Exodus chapter 9, verse 1. Go and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Because God's ultimate design was not for them to be captives. And not for them to be slaves. And not for them to be treated harshly under wicked rulership but ultimately for them to be brought out and not just brought out because it's not just the bringing out that's important. It's not just that you get free from something. It's not that you only stop giving your life to what it is that is killing you, but you must begin giving your life to what is going to give life to you. And you can turn from the wrong thing and still never turn to the right thing. And it's not only important that you turn from the wrong thing, but you have to find the right thing in order to stay free. And God brings them out. We know the plagues, and for those of us that went to children's church, though I never did, I still know the stories, and the plagues, and all of the things that Moses did, and the signs, and the wonders, and the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. And we know that God had a plan to bring them out. But once they get out... Once they get out, this is what I want us to see. In Exodus 14 and 16 and 17, we find that they start encountering trouble. 
They start finding opposition or what they believe to be situations that are working against them where God does not seem to be working for them. And they begin to cry out to Moses and to grumble and complain. And they say, why is it that you brought us up out of Egypt? Why didn't you just leave us there? Did you bring us out here to die? And it's easy to look and to say, man, why were they flipping out? Like God just rescued you. What is wrong with you guys? But the minute God does not seem to be working for them, they find issues with God and they immediately want to go back. And you see, this is what I find to be true. Is that God did not simply deliver them as slaves. He delivered them as sons. But we have to understand the mindset of a people who have now been in captivity for almost 400 years. That means that things have been the way they've been for a long time. That means that dad lived a life with the lens of a slave and grandpa lived life with the lens of a slave and my great-grandfather and so on and so on. All we've ever known is the life of a slave. And if there's something that I know about the life of a slave is that every day there's work to be done. Every day there's work to be done. You see, because they would have been familiar with Pharaoh, the taskmaster, and people riding over them and arching over them, whipping them and forcing them to work. And every day after day after day, no matter how hard I exhaust myself throughout the day, tomorrow morning, there's always going to be more work to be done. And the only way that I can prove my value is to work harder than the guy next to me. The only way that I can deem myself worthy enough is to work hard enough and to cause someone to gain the eye upon my efforts. <laughs> so out they come. We have to understand that when I have a system in place in my life where value is determined by work, where worthiness is determined by outcomes, and numbers, and efforts. When I have this type of system in place in my life, not only will I view myself this way, but you can always tell a lot about how you treat yourself by how you treat others. And this lens that you wear where you view yourself is also the lens that you wear where you view others around you. And so now, because I have to work to prove my worthiness, others have to work around me to prove their worthiness to me. And anyone who is now not working for me, I don't find valuable anymore. Because the way that I derive my value is by working for it. And the same standard that we hold in our life is the same standard that we will put upon others, whether we communicate that or not, it is true. And the same standard in the same way that we treat ourselves is the same way that we will treat all of our relationships. And the man who has not received grace cannot extend grace. And the man who has not been loved by God cannot lead others into the love of God. You cannot simply give something that you yourself have not experienced. And they were out in the wilderness now and they were brought out with a slave mentality. And this is what God wanted to deliver them from. Because the minute God was not working for them, they no longer found value in God himself. And they were ready to walk away from him. Check it for yourself. 
Exodus 14, Exodus 16, Exodus 17. It didn't matter whether they didn't have water, whether they didn't have meat, whether they didn't have this, whether they didn't have that. Anytime they encountered an issue where it did not seem that God was working for them, they were willing to walk away from God himself. And so it will be in our lives. You see, the son remains forever in the house. But the slave does not remain forever because the slave is continually trying to prove his placement. The son is always working to preserve his place in the house. And God will never let you work for things that are gifted to you. He will never let you earn something that he will freely give. He will never let you prove it by your own effort, by your own might, by your own strength. In fact, it's not by power nor by might, but it is by my spirit, saith the Lord. And there are things that God wants to do with you that he will continue to resist you as long as you continue trying to do it with the mentality that you're a slave. Because God wants us to be free. You see, the psalmist says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I will tell you this, that I have gotten into more things by delight than I ever have by discipline. More by delight, more by the wonderful experience of the Lord himself, more by coming to God, and I have become more because I be coming. And as long as you keep coming, you will continue to become. And as you become, you will find that it is, oh, taste and see that God himself is good and that without delight. Without delight, you find yourself in the little hamster wheel. And it's just a breeding ground for frustration. Because you've got your little devotional system, but it's not leading you to actually touch him. And if it's not leading you to actually touch him, then after a while, because you know that you're doing what you should be doing, but after a while, you have to find a way to reconcile your effort with your lack of experience. And if you cannot reconcile your effort with your lack of experience, we have to come up with a way to create satisfaction. And so now what many of us do is that we know that our little hamster wheel has not been leading us to touch him. And therefore, if we don't touch him, there's no divine life. And if there's no divine life, then there can't be any delight. And if there is no delight, then I get left frustrated and broken and I'm angry, especially when I start hearing about others talking about how good God is to them because I really want God to be good to me and with all of the working that I'm doing and he's not being to me what he should be to me because I'm working for him. You have to find a way to reconcile that tension. And what many of us do is now we define satisfaction by the completion of our little lists that we have. And so now I'm satisfied because I read as much as I think I should have read. Now I'm satisfied because I gave as much as I think I should have gave. Now I'm satisfied because I attended all the meetings that I feel like I should attend in order for God to give me an eye and in order for me to prove my place and in order for me to determine that I'm worthy enough to sit at the table that he's invited me to and on and on and on. Down we go on the checklist. And now we define success. And we define satisfaction and we find our value in the completion of our efforts being expended towards God. Though we have no interaction with God himself. And at the end of the day, the only thing that's going to matter 
is do you really know God? Do you really know God? You can know your prayer list and not know God himself. You can know the service schedule over the course of the week and not know God himself. You can know how much is required of you to give and what it is that a faithful life looks like because you see it being demonstrated by all of those around you and not know God himself. You can know all of the godly activities and not have godly life infused within you that is delighting you to do the things that you see everyone else doing. You see, because slaves work to prove their worth. Slaves work to prove their worth. Sons work from a place of worth. I'm not against work. I'm not against work. Don't take this for what it's not. I'm not against work. But Luke 10, 38 through 42 has an account with Mary and Martha. And we have one sitting at the feet of Jesus. We have one busy and distracted because she's working for Jesus. And the one working for Jesus is mad at the one who's simply sitting. And what you will find is that those who do all of the working are mad with others that aren't working. Because you define success and you define value and you define all of what is supposed to be a spiritual life by the effort that you're putting forth. And you can't for the life of you understand why some are not willing to give the same amount of effort that you are. Martha, Martha, you were busy and worried and consumed with so many things. <laughs> you see, as a dear brother of mine and who I consider to be a great man of God, says we need Marys who work and not Marthas who know how to worship. <laughs> because the two are not the same. Because the posture of the heart and the internal disposition are worlds apart. But God wants you to be free. <laughs> but you see, freedom at times is just a shift in our perspective. Because it's not that God can't set you free. He can set you free in a moment. But you finding consistency in being free is where the difficulty lies. You see, some of us don't know how to be free. It's not that God has not set you free. It's that once God has set you free, you now have to learn how to live free. And you now have to understand how it is that you are to set your life up before the Lord in order to stay free. It's not God's fault when you walk back to the thing that he's already closed the door on. Doors that you open that God has closed, you can't blame him for because he has set you free. It is remaining free. It is the sustaining empowerment through enjoyment in God himself that keeps a man free from the entanglements of sin and all of that that would want to bind us down in this earthly life. You don't have to try and strive and rid yourself with effort and labor and toils and sweat and struggle to be holy. You simply have to find Jesus himself and embrace the one who is holy. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We pray that it has fanned into flame the love that you have for him. If you would like more information about Burning Ones, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on social media, visit our website, burningones.org, or download our app.